0: Friday morning, J.M. and the A.M., Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday mornings, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at J.M. and the A.M. Mr. Honline, happy, healthy, and sweet New Year, and welcome back to J.M. in the A.M.
1: <laughs> Thank you, and it uh, should be... Uh... A year we'll have only good news and wonderful to things to report.
0: Amen to that. Boy, oh boy, would that be fantastic. It'll you know.
1: be boring, but it'll be great. <laughs>
0: even,
1: <laughs> even you admit it would be boring. Huh?
0: I know you have greetings for us from the President of the United States and many other officials who, uh, when you visited the White House on Tuesday, extended New Year's greetings to the greater Jewish world. I'm sure that you felt very welcome there in that atmosphere.
1: I certainly did, and uh, the president said that he was really upset. You have invited him on for an interview, (laughs) and that he was a regular listener when he lived in New York. But um, it it was truly remarkable, and, and the whole experience was different. You know, I've attended all of these ceremonies over the years, over the decades, and this one had a different quality because this was a piece of the people. This wasn't just a piece of governments like... Uh, with Sadat or Jordan. We're still there. It's a cold piece as they call it. Here, the excitement on the street in the UAE, and I spoke to my friends there and to people and to the ones we met, it, it's all done in the open. It, what, things aren't being clandestinely pursued as a result of the agreement, but we have delegations flying both ways, uh, delegation of UAE coming to Israel. Now, the, the, there were several delegations of bankers, of the business people, of the Ministry of Defense people, to talk about cooperation, ranging from medical, uh, university presidents. Uh, I think Weitzman and MBS University, MBS University uh, signed uh, cooperation deals, but a wide range of things. And, and uh, as you know, they took the remarkable step of. of Ordering that in Abu Dhabi that every hotel have kosher food designated on the room service menu, and that part of every kitchen be set aside with a mashkeh, with supervision, um, and that they they announced the deal yesterday where Emirate Airlines and Kosher Arabia, a company that was formed at the time of what a couple of years ago, and I brought a big group to Israel to, to the UAE, and we brought a mashkeh from South Africa as we did this year to Saudi Arabia from Israel. And it set a precedent now that that kosher food will be available both on Emirate Airlines, which will now be able to fly directly three three and a half hours to Israel from Israel to um, to the UAE. Uh, but, but so you have real tachlis translation right away. The, the in the UAE they changed their textbooks. They're already teaching the peace agreement in the schools. Uh, it, it has so many broader ramifications uh, that the, the you know, for Iran, for instance, seeing now that Israel took a long time to fly to Tehran to, to if they needed to go, now it'll take a couple minutes if they're able to use the bases in UAE or Bahrain or elsewhere. The, the Palestinians have been shown that it's no longer true that time is on their side and that you saw the, this famous clip of Kerry insisting, Secretary Kerry, when he was then Secretary of State, saying there is no way there will be a deal, there's no way, nothing will happen until the Palestinian issues, no Arabs are going to make a deal, this is peace is impossible until you do so. And he gave them a leverage, the Palestinians a leverage, to be obstinate and to deny their people. They could have been beneficiaries of all of this as well. And is it, it remains an issue for them, but... I think the the fact that you now have a growing alliances, more discussions going on, right. where 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 you're forming alliances against two non-Arab Muslim powers, Turkey and and Iran, and I think it's it's it, it, this could lead to much broader uh, arrangements. And you know, Bahrain may not seem important, but they didn't sign a full treaty as did the UAE. But we have to remember that Bahrain's population is about. Muslim, uh, more than half of those are Shiites. And Iran has been very active in in Bahrain, trying to overthrow the government. Uh, There's, by the way, 50 Jews who live in Bahrain and have continuously lived there, and the king has always been protective of them. And uh, I attended an event here in New York years ago when the king of Bahrain came, and he met with his former constituents, and he gave a reception for them in a hotel and It was a love fest of remarkable quality. I know this is a long statement, but I think people shouldn 't just look at this at the ceremony right. well,
0: what what's the what 's the percentage what 's the percentage of Shiite in u a e is there any population there
1: there is, but it 's not but first of all, ten percent of the population are Emiratis, and those are basically Sunnis. Do you have people from India, Pakistan, elsewhere, it's all foreign workers. Mm. They make up the vast majority of the population.
0: So it's not close to the percentage in Bahrain?
1: No, 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 no. But, well, Bahrain, it's its unique because Bahrain is 14 miles across a waterway from Katif in Saudi Arabia, which is where the oil is, but it's also the Shiite area of Saudi Arabia, where Iran has played mischief and done a lot of negative things over the years, you know, trying to— to incite against the government, the government's had to crack down in the in those areas.
0: All right, you told us a lot of things here. I got I got to, uh, I have a whole list now based on what you, what you just said. <laughs> I'm sorry, H- how, just how do you quick how do you compare the mood? Seriously, you mentioned you've been to a lot of these ceremonies, and obviously you've been you've been to all of them that have taken place over the last thirty forty years. How do how do you how do you distinguish the mood between September the thirteenth of nineteen ninety three when Arafat is standing there with Rabin and Clinton? And the scene this week, September the 15th in 2020. And I'm, and I'm not trying to just be, you know, the smart-aleck guy who, you know, is, is against Arafat making deals, you know, Israelis making deals with Arafat at the White House. But but you just made such an important point. That that was more, I think you would say, as you just described, a, a government piece, you know, one of hope, but a lot of trepidation among those sitting there. I mean, you, you must have been sitting there half comfortable, half uncomfortable. And this week, it sounds like you were sitting there 100% comfortable.
1: I wouldn't say half uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable, period. And I, I spoke to Prime Minister Rabin at the time. I said, the only reason I could stay was looking at your face because of the disgust for, for Arafat. Right. Uh, this was, those, those were pieces of governments, peace with governments, between governments. This is a piece of the people. And it's going to be translated, and it's much more solid when it's that, because then the countries are committed. So if a government changes, doesn't mean it's policy changes. Uh, you know, when Morsi came to power in Egypt, we could have lost everything in terms of the outcome of the agreement. Uh, they didn't move quickly to, to do it because they knew it would be very unpopular, and because Egypt benefits greatly from it, including financial assistance, which was contingent on the, the agreement with uh, Israel. Uh, so th- there was that different uh, quality when when you remember that Clinton had a force arafat sort of right, at the last minute right. and you could see the reluctance the you know that wasn't the you know, big smiling event yeah. here it was just all upbeat and and positive and because it it's already been translated it's it's something that has been has been implemented uh over the last few years. In a, in a sort of backdoor way, but Israelis have been going to the UAE and to other parts of right. the Gulf. And this, this, and remember, this is not just for the UAE. This is for all the Emirates and others will, and Bahrain, hopefully Oman will follow, hopefully others. And even if it's only symbolic things or, or uh, gestures which are significant, like the overflights of Saudi Arabia, which for economic reasons has huge implications because of Israel's flights to the, can fly over to the to the far east and save many hours but you know there's a shipping deal between uh an israeli company and uh, uae that cuts 10 hours off the shipping between the countries wow and so th- th- there are a lot of ramifications Could now it? the opening of the oil pipeline from ashdod to a you know that will, will be open done openly so much that will have significant economic and other impact.
0: Could anybody else have done it? Or, I mean, were Netanyahu and Trump in the right place at the right time? Like, I mean, and again, I'm not forcing you to credit Trump or to you know laud him 50 days before the election. But I'm curious. Like, could any U.S. president have supervised this type of uh, arrangement?
1: Well, first of all, I do praise him for what he did. Right. I, don't think, I think it's necessary. You got to have Hakar Satovan right. recognize somebody and his team and all the people who were involved. It's not just the president and the um, and it's Ambassador Otayber from UAE and Ambassador Durmer and certainly Netanyahu's uh, um, involvement um, uh, as well as you got to praise the UAE people. Right. So, first of all, that that should, that's not a political statement. It's a fact, and we have to show show appreciation for that. It, you're right, though. I think that it was an alignment with Iran, the threat of Iran, driving uh, being a driving force. Um, it, the high tech, the fact that these countries are looking at their post-oil era, when if the you know demand for oil, alternatives other things, and that they want to build up their economies, they want to to benefit from technology. That Israel certainly is, you know, the startup nation. So there were a lot of things that aligned to make this possible.
0: Unbelievable. I'll tell you. Um, there, are, there are a couple of things that people demand that I ask of you in light of this event. Um, was the lack of social distancing an issue at the yes. White House on Tuesday?
1: For me, it was. I think for others, it was. I mean, I warm mask. It's, many of the people did. Many of the people in the official delegations did not. Um uh, but it is a what it a is, much bigger issue was that they didn't have any food, <laughs> and you know, to get that many people together and not have a children, thats a really unusual thing. So it shows you that they that uh, they were there for the right reason. Well, they were adhering
0: to that rule. I assume that uh, they weren't allowed to serve food. I would
1: guess. Well, they had drink. They had um, Swe- you know, water bottles, right? Something. Uh, and but,
0: also, and also, uh, people are curious, and and, and I, I, even I, to a degree, am curious, and I've seen this evolution over the years. Um you know many of many of us know that that you know that that uh, noticeably identifiably jewish and and Hasidic people have taken a, a great interest in the Repo- Republican party over the last few years uh we didn't realize that 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 the trump administration uh, Trump administration when it uh, invites leaders in the Jewish community to an event like this that so many of them are from that background now i'm I'm, I'm literally just trying to get a you know, a, a perspective on this, not in any
1: way suggest that it should. Well, I thought that came from the UAE delegation. <laughs> now that I think about it, you're probably right. But, <laughs> but, 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 but the, the uh, first of all, it, it isn't that there were so many, but they stand out. Right, I get that. So, uh, so it was a handful, but the fact is they were present. There always were, and there have been an increasing number of people wearing kipot uh, uh, at events. Um, in the Trump administration, more than in previous administration, but it's been increasing in every uh, administration. I mean, I'm many times I was the only yarmulke at, at many meetings, and still, it's still limited. <coughs> and it doesn't mean that others aren't Orthodox. They may not wear a yarmulke, right. or there are people who wear a yarmulke are not necessarily Orthodox, but committed and and want to show that uh, their affinity. So. But it is remarkable. There's no doubt that there's greater involvement. And this time, there was really a lot of people who came from what one would identify as the observant community. um, Who were invited and were part of it. Who were invited. Um, But but remember, three parties were inviting people.
0: Right. Understood. Um, Okay. You mentioned countries. We'll do countries in a second. Let's start with those who think they're a country, and that's the P.A., uh, I, I mean, and, and I know that, look, the Kerry piece is really remarkable to, to watch, and you'd think that somebody who, in fact, was full of hope and had you know a real positive outlook on things even years ago would, would never make a drastic statement like that or as drastic as it was. But anyway, it, it, I mean, is, are they going to wake up at some point? Is the leadership of the PA going to wake up at some point and realize that, that the entire world is passing them by, that now it's 2020, that Israel has a certain attitude to the way they deal with their neighbors, that their neighbors, Gulf states, etc., we'll get to the countries in a minute. You know, they have an attitude now toward Israel that's very different than what the PA has. I mean, they, you know, being stuck in a prior century, it may be an expression. Here it might be reality for them. Are they going to wake up to this or not?
1: That is, uh, that is a key question. It was one that obviously came up many places, but w- w- what is important is that they no longer have uh, control. When the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, condemned them for their criticism and their attacks and their threats, uh, Iranians are, th- are threatening too, Khomeini and others, but we'll hope we'll talk about that. But in terms of the Palestinians, the people see consistently that they're left behind. They can have all the propaganda they want. And condemning the the betrayal by Bahrain, by UAE, by others, uh, but the fact is that the the leaders have told us we're no longer going to let ourselves be held hostage to their corruption, to their obstinacy, to their, their 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 state. You know, all the money, billions and billions of dollars we gave them, you have nothing to show for it. It, it ended up in people's pockets. It was largely misused um, so the Arab League even rejected the rejectionism and the attack by them uh, you know of course we had the rockets right. with Hamas and others so, you know right. that's that's to be expected right. but it's Stuff, stop. Uh you know they refuse to take the tax money from Israel that, that right. Israel collects a lot of money pays the price for that the right. people do because you know the salaries don't get paid other things don't get taken care of but they're refusing to take their money which Israel's collected and ready to give to them and it just shows you that they're, that they're they're putting ideology they're putting their obstinacy above the needs of the people the legitimate uh, policies and, and interaction now
0: we had heard of Oman Qatar and Kuwait, and now I see that the Jerusalem Post is introducing me to countries I never heard of. Well, Sudan I heard of, but Comoros, Djibouti, I never heard of that one, Djibouti, Maur- Mauritania, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. And then there, there's a rumor about Pakistan as well, with all the countries I just mentioned to you. Do you, do you think that all of them, and of course Saudi Arabia, that all of them are going to follow suit?
1: No, these are possibilities, first of all uh, Comoros are islands, they're, they're small places. Uh, except Sudan obviously is big, but it's involved in a conflict with Egypt and Ethiopia right now, and uh, their foreign minister who came out in support of it was sort of sacked. Um, so, again, it, it, I, I don't think that that, that should be a litmus test right now, how many more come in. We, if one alone would have been one thing. But I think the very fact that you already had a second, that you have the overflights in Saudi Arabia, you have so many other things, and others talking, African countries, you know, Malawi, Chad, others saying they're moving their embassies to Jerusalem, uh, Kosovo, whatever uh, that have made statements right. in, in recent periods. So it's, it's a growing trend, and people are not going to want to be left behind, because they see Israel as the source of stability. And I'm hoping that what happened in the Gulf and what we've done in the Mediterranean with Greece, Cyprus, other countries, the Mediterranean initiative that we launched 10 years ago, that all of these things will connect, and together with the Central Asian countries that are close to Israel. And if you look at a map, you see it's an encirclement of the bad guys, in part, and uh, even they, one of them, very much would like to be part of some of these arrangements and, and had it back down. If you saw that Turkey, by the way, pulled out its ship, the one that was the research ship that was provoking in the Mediterranean against Greece and was um, and France and the EU all came down. France sent uh, warships, so did uh, Israel, so did Greece, um, to, to uh, stand against it. Uh, they, they, these are all remarkable uh developments that you know it's hard to dismiss any of this but just i don't think it's a question of you know of having a chalkboard and just marking up the next country i think it's a question of absorbing them one at a time being being able to fulfill the responsibilities i mean israelis are going to be flocking and jews will be flocking to UAE, I guarantee you it'll be the biggest Pesach designation this year or next. They already have 600 reservations for Pesach and, and they don't even have the program announced yet. But all the hotels are, are looking at ways that they can accommodate um, Jewish tourists, business people, and I hope everybody will just behave and go and do it orderly way and let's build this up. It can be an amazing uh, change. and then this is a, a link to the east, to the further east. Uh, you know, by the way, that Jews traded in this area. and There, there was about a 200-year period when there were 150 Jews living on, on the island of Hormuz, the Straits of Hormuz. Because this was the byway, by which people from Europe to the Far East, and it was traded in diamonds and other things. And there were Jews, in fact, they found the grave in Rosal-Kaiman, which is one of the emirates, uh, a, a marker in Hebrew. A guy traveling found it, uh, and it seems that this was a Jewish businessman who died suddenly en route, and they buried him there, and they scratched a, a, a memorial for him, a marker for the grave. Unbelievable.
0: It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world the web, and nachomsigl.com, and the Siegel Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents. Of major american jewish organizations let me be philosophical for one minute i mean i'm sure i'm sure you're sitting there at the white house you know when things like this happen i start thinking about those soldiers who gave their lives in all the wars and those and those people both in palestine i'm talking about pre-israel palestine and and in the diaspora my father included who worked so hard for the state i mean could you imagine a day like this a day where where you are describing that the world is recognizing the most stable force in the region is the state of Israel. I, I think they they dreamt this. I don't know if they ever thought it would come to fruition, frankly.
1: I, I'm not even sure that there, there were people who wrote about it and said the time will come when Israel could be the Switzerland of the Middle East, right. that Israel could be. But did anybody really think that they would see uh, Israel... In every respect, from water reclamation being water independent, energy independent, things that were not even imaginable in the past. And and while there are still threats against it, but the fact is that it is today in, in a different situation than it w- was in the past. And the um, you know the state, the region is not stable. You see the attacks no last 48 hours uh, several attacks by against the green zone and they have the radicals the Iranian backed militia and others attacking us forces um, but the 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 positives and and the stuff that's being done quietly between various countries some of which you mentioned and some others that people would think of uh arab countries muslim countries who are trading with israel who are visiting israel or exchanging visits this, yes, it, it is not something, and we should not take it for granted. Yeah, That's part of things. It becomes a TV show, and then the next day we go back, but it's not.
0: It's really unbelievable. And, and by the way, you know what tonight is. And, and tonight begins a holiday, an annual coronation and recoronation of the one above. And one of the things, one of the goals that our Torah giants discuss for centuries is the fact that the world will recognize not just us as a Jewish people, but the world will recognize the centrality of God and the God of the Jews. And it's also, the timing is impeccable. This ceremony happening just a few days before Rosh Hashanah, uh, I'm sure that philosophical approach crossed your mind as well.
1: And what you said is very right. You know, so Jake, Jake writes, when we talk about the, the Book of the Living, the Book of the Dead, he said it, it's not... It's, it's not meaning who's going to live and who's going to die. It means that even those who have passed on are being judged. We're being judged retroactively. And we see today that all of those who invested in making things possible, not just on a political level, but personal level with their, seeing their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren becoming religious, being religious, being committed, being, contributing that people get rejudged every year and that we have to think back of the generations that we're representing and ahead of the generations that we are representing, because what we do today determines what will happen with those generations. So your thought is really rooted in the that we say, Tomorrow, tonight, tomorrow.
0: Yeah. And and for those rabbis who are being allotted some time for sermons, they can now thank me for what they're going to be saying tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know how many rabbis will get an opportunity to say a sermon this uh, this Rosh Hashanah. Um, and, and you said, you just said a moment ago that, uh, you know, it shouldn't be viewed as a TV show. For some, the material this week wasn't even worthy of television. I was appalled by the lack of coverage or the way this story was covered, the ceremony in washington I, I i firmly believe that if other people were presiding at the white houses would have been covered differently i mean we're talking about history i i think that the uh, i think my phone where where after a meeting i was actually driving <laughs> driving and, and listening to the to the ceremony for the white house i think my phone gave more attention to the ceremony than the three major networks did it was appalling to see how this story was buried by the media
1: Exactly, and if this had been a gathering where Israel was criticized, where, oh. where you can be sure it would have been uh, front page news. But the you know the there the were demonstrators outside, but very minimal, and people predicted it would be all the anger. And this, you know there weren't street demonstrations against it as had been called for, except in the PA. And I say there is. You look at the critics, and it tells you. But the media distortion this really undermines people's confidence in it. That they see it in such a blatant way. How they, they talk? Brought on the talking heads. All of them, you know, many of them were critical. Few gave credit to any of the parties. They don't like Netanyahu. They don't like Trump. They don't like this one. They don't like that one. And and it doesn't benefit anybody because it only it only serves to further undermine people's confidence and people's the the, the trustworthiness uh, of the media. But the New York Times put a front page picture just showing the back yeah. of the three people walking out. You don't even see their faces. You don't see anything. It's a dark. Dismal picture. I mean, it's really quite uh, horrific.
0: By the way, in all seriousness, because we know what happened at the end of the RNC when it was at the White House, were you able to walk the streets of Washington and get where you needed to go in safety? Were you harassed at all?
1: We were not harassed. Um, we walked out, but we had a car picking us up right away at the place, um, and. Um, but there, were, there was small demonstration, but there wasn't the kind of harassment that Senator Rand and others experienced. Uh,
0: all right, a couple of things. You mentioned something so important that we got to get back to, and that is now the distance or the time uh, that which Israel can reach Iran because of the, the, the shift in... The, That's the, okay, go ahead. Because of the shift in um, in air, the airspace travel. Because of the shift in airspace travel, and, and now, you know...
1: Now he proves that this is live.
0: <laughs> you can say that again. Uh, I mean, that's really significant, and I'm sure the Iranians were looking at that. Not only, you know, how much they must have hated this week politically, but they probably hated this week practically as well because Israel is now a lot closer to Iran.
1: At, I said that their planes could be there in minutes. It wouldn't take long to now if they can use the the bases. But more than that. Iran has to look at this and see them themselves encircled, because on one side you have the UAE with capacity, United States has air force bases there, the, the fifth fleet is based in, in Bahrain. Right. You have Israel with the long-term capacity. They've knocked on the roofs in Tehran several times, as well as on the ground when they were able to steal all these files, which is what is driving the IEA process now, the International Atomic Energy Process, and citing the places that they went to visit and saying that they have ten times the enriched uranium that, that they should have I mean they, they denounced it and one of the ways they got back for instance when Charlie Hebdo, the you know the trial started this week in France uh, uh, for the uh, for, against the murderers who carried out the attacks there and at the, the kosher supermarket in Paris um, uh, that the the um, uh, Iranians, then scheduled a Holocaust cartoon contest. That was the way that they would revenge against that act. It just shows you how sick and how, you know, focused they are on, on Israel and the Jews. Um... And you know we, we, we know that they have tried to undermine these regimes, and this goes against everything. And the people in Tehran, the people in Iran generally will will support and they see that they are they are being left behind. they are suffering very badly under COVID. The economy is in, in terrible uh, shape. and you know the, the, they, they have demonstrated, they do a lot, but it's not... Um, you know, it doesn't get much attention. They had 6,000 demonstrations last year alone. But, you know, you don't see it. But, you know, the, you see the EU. Somebody showed me a statistic that the EU uh, wrote about the um, number of, uh, you know, condemnations that Israel in, engages in with, in terms of housing. It showed that in, in um the 20, in 2017, which is last year for the tour, there are records. There were 705,000 evictions in the EU. And in, in the Palestinians, they, they built uh, 8,700 new housing units with 108 demolitions. <laughs> and many of them were only parts of the building that were illegal and inappropriate. And um, But 80% of all the coverage is about the Palestinian construction when it's it's a 108 units, which is another, because many of them are, you know, just shacks and stuff that were put up or an illegal housing that was built. So you see the distortion across the board on, on uh, it, it is really quite remarkable. And what Iran does, what Turkey does, their aggressions, their aggressive behavior, um, now they found Qatar was supplying, uh, Hezbollah with money, gold through Africa, um, and the, the, you know, the rockets that fell on Israel, the 15 rockets, you know, get a, a passing reference, but only to show, you know, that there is a universal acceptance of the, of the deal.
0: Yeah, nothing surprising there. Um, I, I have a quick list to go through, but before I get to that list, one last thing on this whole uh, deal from this week. I mean, I, I could ask you about any country, obviously, and, and their reaction to it, but I always ask you about Russia as they view these things. How would you think they viewed the ceremony this week?
1: Well, they feel they were on the sidelines. You saw there were very few comments. It wasn't a raving uh, appreciation for it. Uh, Putin is, is concerned because, you know, they have COVID in the country and uh, he has economic and other problems. But he's quietly taking advantage of all this time, and he, he's building up. He's very shrewd. I give him credit for it. Um, he, he, he just creates facts. And they're creating facts, whether it's in Libya, whether it's in Syria, whether it's in Crimea, wherever. You know, he pursues his interests, and, and all these other things are sideshows for him, except as it impacts his design. So he builds up his ties with Turkey and Iran, even though they all hate each other. They, they take advantage of the moment, and, uh, and I think that's what he's doing here.
0: Where, where's COVID worse, Russia or the Ukraine? I don't know. I mean, I'm asking that obviously because of all the Jewish people that are now being held at the border because they can't get to Uman, right? I, and they, and they but say, I think
1: they're more worried about people bringing COVID right. into the country than what exists. Don't in the you? Su-
0: don't you suggest that they just go home at this point?
1: I certainly think the people on, on the Belarus border should go home, but I don't know if they can make it back for, for Yantiv. But they, right. you know, you just can't travel the countries today, and especially I don't know when people don't feel welcome you know in the ukraine um by the way i just, i just spoke to chief uh, rabbi uh Hazar, and he told me that that COVID was under control for a while people had said there were a lot of cases in moscow and he said that it's very much under control
0: but the reality is the government doesn't want visitors from israel right now and and the thousands of
1: people there. the government of ukraine does not yeah. want them to come and we're not wanted and because there's you know there are reasons yeah. you have a jewish president in ukraine he's not doing it out of anti-semitic uh, in, in uman itself there's probably a lot
0: no but uh, i just think our people would have served everybody better if they would have well number one stayed away but number two just turned back but who knows i mean I can't get into everybody's head and, uh, and uh, analyze what's going on. One hour and 17 minutes ago, the lockdown began in Israel. It goes through Shabbat at Saris, which is three weeks from now. Uh, for what I heard, by the way, is that it's a little better than originally um, uh, proposed. Instead of the 500 meters, you get to be within a kilometer of your home. They want to stop the intercity travel. Uh, They're also making certain accommodations, not only for demonstrations, but certain accommodations for for tefillah uh, as well, for, for prayer services throughout Rosh Hashanah, and I would assume Yom Kippur and Sukkot as well. So it's a little better than what we were told 48 hours ago.
1: It's a little looser. People even can go to work, uh, not just essential, so businesses can continue to function if it's not with full full uh, staff. Um, people get uh, permission. Those who, let's say, work without solid, those who engage in any kind of hotel workers and others uh, are given permission, but it, it, it has to be dealt with. The, the numbers continue to rise. It's over 5,300. Uh, yes, and, it, it, and you have serious cases. That, you know, the hospitals are... Taking steps, when hospital converted their their um, lunchroom into into additional space, uh, and because there's concern, and by the way, I hear it from Europeans are very concerned about a second wave, which they feel will be worse. And so, for people here who think it's over, and people who think that they're immune, and people who are careless about the uh, implementation, should understand that nobody knows the rules with this. There are people who get a second time, and you can still be a carrier, and you still endanger others even if not yourself. So people really have to take this seriously when we don't have a cure now and we're coming into a period where flu is, is uh, present and the combination could be very serious. People should get a flu shot if their doctor says so. But we really have to look at this in a more serious way, I think, and, and it is the weddings and other gatherings uh, that have Proven to be uh, sources of it, and we've unfortunately seen it just in the last weeks with some weddings that <clears throat> produced dozens of, of people with uh, COVID. And and look what the Ger Rebbe did. He showed closed down his base medrash. Thirty thousand people come to Daven there, but he wouldn't let him. And he and he closed it, and he said, "Go and dominate small groups near your home." And the you know if, if the Rebbe sees it, other have seen it. The Great Synagogue closed. You know, it's tragic. I'm very worried about the long-term implications. I'm worried about what the, your kids learn. But parents should then take the extra time, make sure the kids stop, make sure that they, you know, compensate for, for what they're not getting. Uh, schools, yeshivas had a close because of, of the spread, even if, you know, it wasn't widespread. But these are really serious considerations, and uh uh, too many people just don't take it
0: seriously. And by the way, folks, numbers in New Jersey over the last couple of days are up also. You don't have to go anywhere around the world. It's right well, here. Well,
1: i asking some local communities here in New York mm-hmm. about the uptick, and mm-hmm. they'll tell you. But, you know, it's not, I hope it's not dramatic. I, I don't want uh, – so nobody wants to see anybody get sick. We paid a heavy price. They say in New York City, 24,000 people died in <sighs> the past year ending in June or July. Um, attributed to COVID, and even if it's less or more, you know, nobody knows exact because they don't even keep records. They're not even doing autopsies anymore. They're not doing checks on, on it because they needed to, you know, facilitate the flow of, the, of bodies and stuff at times. So now it's, it's less, and thank God in New York it's, it's um, much better than many other places. But it doesn't mean it's not coming back, and it doesn't mean it can't ravage communities so I hope people will, will take it really seriously.
0: Um, our schedule, we should be here every Friday during holiday season, everybody. I assume with the exception of Oshana Rab, I would assume that Friday we will uh, take off from the weekly update. Otherwise, expect us every Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. We should continue every single week, please God, during the year 5781. And uh, Malcolm, I take this opportunity with wish you and your family a ksivach Happy, healthy, and sweet new year.
1: Uh, well, a very good year to you. We, we finish on a high note, I hope in yep. one regard That's and um, not not the COVID. it's seeing the good things that that we have experienced uh, this year it's going to be a challenging year with the election with the still the growth of anti-semitism both here and around the world the manifestation sometimes getting worse i just saw there's going to be a comic book about wonder women and they've included tlaib and aoc <gasps> which just Shucks. And on the other hand, we see that Al Jazeera was just forced to, to register as a foreign agent, which is very good because they are uh, owned <laughs> by the government of Qatar, and, and this at least uh, something long sought. but the administration did it because Congress, I think, was reluctant to act on it. Uh, but, you know, every day we get the reports, the challenges, and even if kids aren't on campus, we see that there have been anti-Semitic incidents against synagogues, against cemeteries, against uh, individuals. So we have a lot to deem a for, a lot to pray for, a lot to be hopeful for, but a lot lot to motivate us.
0: And a lot to thank God for. Absolutely. Which is one of the the themes of tomorrow. Uh, Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us Friday mornings at the 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM.